Welcome to the Tanya Acker Show. I'm Tanya Acker. Welcome to the podcast, Danielle Walker. She is a three-time New York Times bestselling author, and she is here today to talk to us about food and our relationship to it. Welcome, Danielle. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, there's so many different facets to that conversation. <laughs> Aren't there though? I mean, okay, so look, everybody says this, food is medicine, food is medicine. It's trite, it sounds like a cliche. Nobody really knows what that means anymore. Yeah. You have a very special story. So why don't we start by having you tell us what that means to you and what it's meant in your life? I am definitely a proponent for that and believe in it. Um, but it is, it's, it's not just a, you know, one kind of sentence that that's the end all be all it's a journey always, I think with food, no matter what you're going through, but I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease called ulcerative colitis when I was 22, uh, just as a newlywed and straight out of college and not really knowing much about life. Uh, and it came on overnight and, you know, I spent years on debilitating doses of medications. I was in and out of the hospital constantly. And I just didn't feel like that was the way that I wanted to live my life at such a young age with so much of my life ahead of me. And I just started asking the doctors if food could help. And, you know, they all said it wouldn't cure it. It didn't cause it. It can't help it. And, you know, to their, uh, to, to their defense, there's not a lot of nutrition training in medical school. So, you know, that's not something that was in their wheelhouse. Um, but I started experimenting with different things and just found pretty pretty quickly and very clearly that food could in fact help manage my symptoms. My disease is not curable, uh, but it could at least help manage and give me a better day-to-day -day life. So what were the things that you tried uh, as you are at 22, uh, so young, going through such a chronic uh, debilitating disease? What, what, like, where do you start? I don't feel well, so I wanna try something different. What did you do? Yeah. I tried so many different things and I got to finally write about all of those things in this book because I've only written cookbooks in the past. So I got to really go into detail, but I tried, I mean, seeing multiple specialists to start, uh, to just even get the diagnosis, but then everything from, you know, dietary changes. I went gluten-free at first. I tried, you know, whole grains. I tried nothing processed, you know, just all of these different things, um, to trying tons of different natural measures, you know, infusions of different vitamins and taking a slew of supplements and, traveling to see different, you know, natural type doctors. I just, I tried everything. Um, but so I ultimately, worked? yeah. Yeah. So I ultimately ended up uh, doing an elimination diet that looked really similar to a paleo style diet, which back then that wasn't really a thing. Uh, but it was what my body was sensitive to and what it was exactly what was causing inflammation in my body. So I ended up cutting out grains and dairy legumes, uh, refined sugars, kind of anything processed and just ate whole, whole real foods that were free from those things. So proteins and, and nuts and seeds and berries and, you know, eggs, uh, um, all, all of those other things. <laughs> Do you never eat those things now? No dairy, no legumes, no grains, not even on a cheat day. You don't have a cheat day. <laughs> so I don't really, I can't really afford to have a cheat day. Um, I am not perfect. And this has been now a four, I was diagnosed 14 years ago. I probably changed my diet maybe about 10, well, about 12 years ago is when I kind of started dabbling in it. Um, so no, I am never perfect. Uh, gluten. I have not touched for 12 
years. Uh, it's, I know that it's not worth it for me. I know that I'll feel the effects almost immediately when my kids eat something, you know, that has like some rice starch or flour or something like that. And I might take a little bite here and there, but yeah, everything that I cook, everything I make for myself, fully grain-free, uh, after a few years of being dairy-free, I was able to add in very specific types of dairy that didn't cause uh, digestive issues with me, which was mostly sheep's milk and goat's milk, cheese, hard cheeses that are free of lactose, um, but still very much in moderation for those things too. So side note, when I was a little baby, and I think this isn't uncommon, um, certainly yeah. in a lot of communities of color, I couldn't eat cow's milk. I mean, I couldn't digest yeah. it. So yeah. I only had goat dairy products when I was younger. And then at some point, I guess my system, <laughs> I guess yeah. my system toughened up. Your new book, Food Saved Me. Tell us why you wrote this book. Tell us what you want people to get out of it. I wrote it because I went through a really lonely period when I was diagnosed. I had, thankfully, my husband by my side, but we were both, you know, so unaware of what an autoimmune disease was, what that would look like for us as a newlywed married couple. And then fast forward, you know, through 14 years of having children and working on a marriage and business and, you know, career. And, and I just wish that I would have had somebody to walk alongside of me with that and kind of give me a little bit of a picture of what that might look like in the future. And with my cookbooks, you know, I've written four of them, but I'm never allowed to write too much at the beginning because it has to get into the recipes. And so I've been able to share bits and pieces of my story over the last uh, 10, 12 years since I started my blog, but never really do a deep dive. And that's, that's what this book is. It was written, you know, with everything poured into it, all of the goods and all of the bads to show people that they are going to hit bumps, that it is a journey, but that there can be a lot of hope and light throughout that journey. And that's, that's really my main hope that people come away with when they, when they read it. So I, I have this quote from you and it says that after you started this elimination diet, you removed grains. Uh, you know, I could kind of dairy rough, like I can, I could take a pass on dairy from time to time, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then I fail. I fail. Refined sugar very occasionally for me, but sometimes. Eggs, yeah. eh, nuts I need, and legumes, I feel like I kind of need them. So these sure. are tough. We're going to talk soon about what you do eat because yeah, yeah. Uh, you know you look great and, and the health struggle was real like this wasn't just about vanity and fitting in you know to a pair of jeans i mean you had sure. a really debilitating disease do you care to share a little bit about what it was like what living with that was like before you figured out a way past it i mean what were your days like how did you do Oh, ter terrible. Uh, and you know, it's not even a, a part of a, a thing that's in the distant past. I, I still have struggled even with those dietary changes. It's never been perfect, but it certainly is much better than it used to be. But I would spend sometimes, you know, weeks in the hospital and then getting out of the hospital, I'd be bedridden. I couldn't even make it up a flight of stairs. I would be in bed for sometimes a couple of months at a time. And then after getting out of bed, you have a whole recovery process to go through. So, I mean, there could be six months of my year that I, I was, you know, in a debilitating state. At 22, you're 22 years old when you're living through this. Yeah. Yeah. So what I was, uh, where I started to go was that I have this quote from you where you said that you saw dramatic progress yeah. after 48 hours. And that's when you said <laughs> you're going full bore. Uh, yeah. Two days after you went all in, you really yeah. started to feel better. Like how yeah. did your body feel? 
It was very apparent very quickly. Uh, so with ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, you know, even celiac, uh, you're, you've got these very severe digestive symptoms that are very clear to measure, especially with somebody with UC. And I walked into that office and worked with that practitioner. And within 48 hours, those symptoms that I had been really kind of counting every day went down by 75% in 48 hours. Um, and so for that, for me, that meant, you know, less trips to the bathroom, if we're being honest, this disease is not a, a glamorous one, uh, less fatigue, hardly any pain after 70, you know, the, those, those few days, those couple of days, um, for ulcerative colitis specifically, you have ulcers that are in your colon that bleed. So you're bleeding internally. Um, and so that decreased drastically, you know, by 75% in those couple of days, it was really amazing. It didn't, it didn't cure it. And I had a very long journey to go to recover, but the actual, you know, acute symptoms that I was experiencing walking into that office dramatically decreased. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. Yeah. Uh, so you eliminated these things, you committed to this diet. Tell us what you eat. It sounds so restrictive. I mean, you know, I know. You, you want people to go through life and not be hungry. And then also of remember, course. like, think about where we are, right? Yeah. Like we're on the tail end, not completely out of a pandemic. Yes. Uh, right. Lots of folks are making decisions to stay home and people gained weight. Like I yeah, was one of yeah. them. I put on yeah. that COVID because, <laughs> you know, like, what else are you going to do? It's like you're looking yes. for something to bring joy. Food brings joy yes. and life. So yeah. if you're going to eliminate these things and you are, you know, look, this is not a medical show. I'm not a doctor. Right. Danielle's right. not a doctor. Not either. <laughs> We're talking about what worked for her um, yeah. and, and her experience and her story. After eliminating these things, what do you eat? So you enjoy, yeah. so you have fun. Like, what do you make for dinner? Yeah. Well, so first of all, the list that you read was what I had to do when the symptoms were really acute. And that was a little, that was an elimination diet that was even more restrictive. And some of those things I've been able to add back in, I bake with almond flour. I use, you know, cashew butter. And so there's been eggs I was able to add. It's really the main things that I've kept out are legumes, grains, most dairy and refined sugars. And, and I eat all, I eat all the things. Uh, I mean, I too gained weight during the COVID lockdown because i prepped and cooked and baked. And, you know, in my style, I made cookies and I made breads and I made, you know, pizza for my kids. I mean, I made all sorts of things, but I think everybody was making banana bread at the beginning of the pandemic. I probably made like eight loaves. Uh, we saw the banana bread recipe on my blog, just like shoot through the roof. It was so funny. I guess everybody was just, maybe they stockpiled their bananas when they went to the store at the beginning and they needed something to make them with, but I make all the things that I used to love and enjoy. I just do them with different ingredients. So, you know, I mean, dinners, dinners are usually proteins and, and vegetables and maybe some sweet potatoes or something like that to kind of fill, fill me up a little bit with a starch. Um, but I, I get to enjoy all the things I used to, I mean, I've recreated, that's been my like life's mission since being diagnosed is recreating all of the nostalgic comfort foods, the traditions, the things that I grew up loving and, and food is food is tied to so many of those things, right? I mean, it not only so brings many. us around the table and cure, creates community and conversation, but it also holds a lot of memories and holds a lot of traditions for us. And, and I wasn't willing to let those things go. So I don't feel like I'm lacking on anything. I mean, I maybe like to sit down to like a baguette with some cheese every once in a while, but otherwise I, I eat all the things that I feel like I used to just in a different form. Do you think we politicize our food and nutrition too much. I mean, I'm thinking about talking, uh, you know, uh, you and your experience, what you lived. Why is it so 
political. It's our bodies. It's like, I know. you know, I mean, what's your reaction to that, especially given what you yourself have lived? Right. Everything's, everything seems to be politicized these days, but it is, it is, um, it's kind of baffling here and there, you know, when, when you see it, there people, I think because they're so tied to what they eat, you know, it's, it, there, it's a very sensitive subject for people. <laughs> I don't understand it. I don't know why there's not more of a focus and an emphasis on feeling good and eating, you know, whole healthy foods and especially for our kids. Um, and I, I don't, I don't know why there's, you know, such a, a line that has to be drawn. I feel like even if you're, you know, in the medical community and I, I think it can be back and forth where people feel like there's, it needs to be mutually exclusive. And I think we can do so much with just food and healthy living to be preventative. And then also maybe to come and work alongside of, you know, the medical community and help to amplify those things. So it does, it gets, um, it gets very, very sticky and very heated very quickly. And, and I don't know if maybe some of that is because, the body, you know, body image and, and in talking about kind of the outward physical appearance, but really what we should be focusing on is how we're feeling inside and, and food can absolutely have such an impact on that. You, uh, as you mentioned, our cookbook author, let's talk about recipes and substitutions. That's my favorite part. <laughs> this is really, um, because I also try to avoid gluten. I'm not totally, totally strict. You know, someone's making dinner and they're like, I made some homemade pasta. I am not going yeah. to say no. Um, sure, yeah. <laughs> but let's talk about substitution. So if you want to bake a cake and you don't yeah. want to use wheat flour, they're like, what do you recommend people use? Almond flour? Like, what do you do? What are we going to see in your cookbook? And then yeah. I, want you to, I want you to tease us with some recipes. Okay. Yeah. So the way that, I mean, there's obviously plenty of options if you're just gluten-free, there's lots of different flours, but my three favorite, my go-to that you'll see in my recipes a lot is a combination of almond flour, coconut flour, and arrowroot starch, which looks very similar to like a corn starch, but it's, it's a plant. So it's not made from corn. Uh, and the texture with those three combined, the way that I do them in the recipes gives you just like the best cake texture. And it's the closest you will get, I think, to, uh, you know, grain gluten-filled gluten-filled cake. It's not um, all yeah, crumbly. Are... It doesn't get that kind of crumbly, you yeah, know, no. like you're eating and it's sand. Not cardboard. Yes. I was going to say, it's not like cardboard. It's not like sand. That was, you know, when I first started eating this way, that's, I, I felt, I was like, this is not sustainable. I can never do this for the rest of my life because I can't chew on cardboard. <laughs> so it's always been my goal to create recipes that, that really do have good texture and flavor. Uh, sugar. Re replacing yes. refined sugar. Um, here's what I often use. Tell me yeah. if you've got a better suggestion. I use coconut sugar um, in my coffee. I bake with it. Like there's yep. no white sugar in my house. So do you approve? Yes, same. Is that good? I do. I like coconut sugar. Um, from what I understand, again, not the doctor, but it's low glycemic too. So it doesn't spike the blood sugar as much. I use that. I use a lot of raw honey. Uh, I kind of try to go for the unprocessed sugars as well. And then I love maple syrup, especially for, you know, kind of fall flavored things. It's like, that's the one that I use as a sweetener for, for when it starts to, you want the spices and it, it goes well with that too. And it goes really well with chocolate as well. What about <laughs> dates or dates? Do you like dates? Yeah. I do. I love dates. You know, I mean, they can change the texture of something if you're not careful because they're just, 
they're, they're so soft and kind of squishy, but they're a great sweetener and, and they're sweet, you know, so you don't need that many, but I make like a, a dairy-free coffee creamer that I use dates as the sweetener. Um, I do a muffin for my kids that dates is dates and applesauce are the only sweeteners in there. So, I mean, really just fruit sweetened. Um, but yeah, I do. I love those. I love dates. And then they have like, there's a brand that makes date syrup. You can actually use it in place of, you know, honey and maple syrup and things like that. And, and you don't have to worry about <laughs> blending it and, you know, taking the pits out and all of that. I'm so hungry. Um, I know. What about- <laughs> I am too. Uh, what's your favorite dairy alternative? I like to do a combination of coconut milk and cashew milk. Those are kind of like, I like, I, I you'll, you'll notice in my recipes, I like to combine things because I think when you just say, stick with one ingredient or one flavor profile, it kind of can overpower it. Um, so I love the texture and the creaminess that comes from combining those two. Oh, that sounds good. Actually. Yeah. I never, um, like almond milk is my default, but yeah. now I want, I, I want to try that. You know, let, let's shift gears for a second, because sure. when you talk about eating this way, you know, not eating dairy and like sort of looking for these alternatives, it's not cheap, Danielle, no. you know, it yeah. is not inexpensive. And so what's your message? Like, how do you spread the gospel of your kind of clean eating for people who are on pretty limited budgets? I mean, sadly, you can go get a full meal at a fast food place uh, for less money than you can get a few cups of almond milk. So, you know, know. what are people to do? Yeah. um, Well, first it's discouraging because it's just, our food system is so messed up and it needs to be revamped where healthy foods are actually not only accessible in everywhere, but affordable, you know, and I think as the demand, I hope as the demand goes up, that that will become more affordable. I certainly have seen some of these specialty ingredients decrease over the last 10, 12 years that I've been doing this and the availability of them. You know, I used to have to go to five different grocery stores before I could find a bag of coconut flour, you know, something like that. Uh, and now it's accessible. You can get it at Trader Joe's and Costco and Safeway. And, and I think it's a lot more affordable, but I will say those specialty items are what are the most expensive and it's the baking things, you know, it's like buying the honey and the almond flour and all of that. And so I think limiting those things helps. Um, I, I think, you know, using just those whole real ingredients, I do think fast food, yes, is cheaper, but the processed foods that so many people buy are actually really expensive. And I feel like when I switched my original grocery bill was high because I had to read, you know, vamp everything in my kitchen. But I started feeling like I was actually saving money by not buying the convenience items. And there's a price for convenience, you know, and buying a full made packaged product at the store is, is really expensive compared to those individual ingredients if you were to make it yourself. And obviously there's a price for convenience when you're a busy working person. Um, but I do think, you know, I think there's less waste when you're cooking from whole real foods. I think you find that you save more in that way. And then I think trying to shop smartly, it's really hard at first to get your, like wrap your head around it. But I always say, you know, like chicken, boneless, skinless chicken breasts can run you like nine to $12 a pound, but you can get a whole chicken that has two breasts and all the other meat and the bones to make bone broth for like two 99 a pound. So I think it's changing kind of the way that you are shopping is the biggest thing, you know, and then trying to take advantage of the bulk and the, you know, ordering online and things like that, but it is, it's expensive and it's a deterrent. Uh, honestly, for a lot of people, I mean, it was for me as a newlywed, my husband was going through law school and we were, we barely had anything. we had spent most of our savings on my medical bills. And, um, and it was a lot, it was a, it was a big, a big hurdle to try to get through as I was starting out. 
And I think that, you know, let's also talk for a minute about convenience because that's nothing to sniff at, you know? I mean, no. you've got three yeah. young children. We talked about that before we started. Uh, at the end of a day, if you are a busy parent working outside of the home, working inside of the home, you want something convenient. You want it to be quick, fast, yeah. and easy. So uh, give us a couple of ideas, clean, simple, convenient, easy to make things that busy yeah. folks can do that, you know, not going to cost an arm and a leg, not going to yeah. take half a day to prepare, but, yeah. you know, people want to eat better. They want to prepare better food for their families. They don't have all day to do it and they don't have unlimited pocketbooks. What do they yeah, do, Daniel? Sure. <laughs> I am a big fan of rotisserie chickens. Um, there, there was a time when I was sick, like just not feeling the energy to be able to cook as much and a rotisserie chicken and just some vegetables or a salad was on, on our table a lot. Um, and I think, you know, I tried to stock my freezer, but I'm also not great at that. I think if you can, you can save money that way too, by batch cooking, and then you can pull something out, but again, busyness and working doesn't always allow for that. But yeah, I mean, I think trying to just get something that's a cooked protein and then adding some vegetables is a healthier alternative. I think there's a lot in like, like a prepared, you know, grocery kind of that fridge section that might be a little similar in price to some of the fast food, but, but a little bit, you know, kind of healthier ingredients. Um, I'm also, I love frozen things. Like, I mean, keep a, keep a few bags of frozen vegetables in your freezer for when like the minute that you need something quick and some frozen proteins, because, I, they last first of all, and oftentimes can be more affordable in general. Um, and then, you know, adding a sauce, I'm like, I'm a sauce and spice girl. If, if you just need to have something really simple as some like chicken and veggies, putting a really great tasting sauce on top is I think can be like a meal saver <laughs> and it keeps it exciting. You know, um, the, the what's underneath may not be super exciting, but you can change up the flavors at, you know, every night by just adding a little bit different toppings. What are three habits, three food habits that you wish everybody listening would adopt that you mm. want everybody who picks up your book, uh, mm. Food Saved Me, to think about like three food habits you would like everybody to grow? Interesting question. Um, I think I'm thinking of it more as a mindset thing. Uh, I think I would love number one for food to be one of the first places that people look when something is not feeling right. I think, you know, it's not, it's almost the last place. I think I see it and I saw it in myself as a mother when I first got pregnant and then nursing children. That was kind of the first time where I was like, oh, this food might be affecting the child that I'm growing, the you know child that I'm feeding. And otherwise in our lives, I don't feel like we look to it. You know, we don't feel well and that's not the first place we look. So I'd love for it to be seen as, as a healing tool and also as a preventative tool, you know, before all else. And, and, it, and it may not do what you're hoping it will and then you can move on. But I, I just wish that it was seen as, as, as powerful as it actually is. I feel like food was created to nourish and to heal our bodies and, we don't give it the respect almost these days, you know, that I think it should have. Um, and then I, I think that, you know, eating healthy and cooking, I just, I saw it more than ever in 2020 people, like you said, people in their kitchens and they were, you know, had the time again to make recipes and to cook and have sit down dinners with their families, you know, or whoever was in their household with them as we were all 
stuck in our households. Um, and then so quickly as life kind of opened back up, you know, busyness and too many kids sports and staying late at work and, and just all the things we fill our time with food is not as important in our culture here as I feel like it is in so many other cultures. And it is what surrounds, you know, so many different traditions and nighttime gatherings and community. And it's kind of the last, it's the last thought here. It's like, well, if I get home at eight, you know, I'll think about dinner. And, and I loved seeing the priority that was put on it. So I would say number two is just, you know, priority of actually getting in and, and making things that are going to be healing for your body. Uh, and then I guess three is just, you know, and eating, eating whole healthy foods, whatever that looks like for you. You know, I'm very, clear in my book and everything about the way that I, you know, talk about this, that it's not one size fits all. What worked for me could be a really great starting point for you. But I've also heard from people that are vegan, that it's, you know, put them into remission and, you know, people that do eat gluten and grains that do okay. And so I think it's really just about finding what is right for your body and listening to your body and, and, you know, seeing that correlation with what you eat. Tell us your kids' ages again. Yes. So I have Kezia is four, Easton is six, and Asher is 11. We had lots of summer birthdays, so we've moved. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the 11-year-old because he's yes. out about, he's got friends. Like, are there rules for him if he's at a friend's house and friend's mom says, here are some M&Ms. Is he allowed yeah. to have the M&Ms? Yeah. Yes. We've always tried to kind of give a really strong foundation of the way we eat and why we eat the way we do at home. Um, gluten is the one thing that they all kind of know if it's not gluten-free, don't eat it because they've noticed that their bodies just don't feel great afterwards. But yeah, you know, I want them to try things. I want them to make their own decisions. I want them, you know, also to, if he eats three bags of M&Ms at his friend's house and has a stomach ache. I want to be able to talk to him about that and kind of say like, how do you feel? And why do you think that is? Um, and they, yeah, and he makes, he makes really great decisions. You know, he might have a few, uh, but then he's kind of like, I'm good. I don't, I don't need that. You know, I think he's not used to that much sugar for sure. He doesn't all, have but, a taste for it. He doesn't yeah, have a taste for it. Yeah. Yeah. But he's, you know, they're interested and I want them to know what things taste like. And I want them to get to experience, like experiment on their own and, and, and hopefully make good, wise decisions. <laughs> so before you go, um, we talked a little bit about your current book, Food Saved Me, My Journey of Finding Health and Hope Through the Power of Food. But mm. you have some other cookbooks. I want to quickly run through them and you can tell our listeners what they can expect. One of them I'm going to get as soon as I get off the, uh, as soon as oh. we finish, I'm going to order it. Um, Against all grain. That's the one I'm yes. going to get. Gluten-free, I assume, but it's recipes yep. across the board, dessert, breakfast. It's got everything in it. Yeah. Yeah. That was my very first cookbook, um, 2013, I think it came out and yeah, everything. And also, yeah, all of my recipes are grain-free, which just consequently makes them gluten-free, but they, they can be, you know, served to, I think anybody that's what I, my, my most, you know, prized feedback from people is they can make them for anybody who eats anything and they still enjoy them. Do you have a favorite recipe or a superstar from this book? against all grain from that book. Yeah. The, the, uh, real, they're called the real deal chocolate chip cookies. They were the ones that like, I felt like I could actually do this, you know, I'm like, and then they're the ones that actually really shot my blog off into kind of the public. And I think people just love a good chocolate chip cookie and what? when you have to go grain free, you're like, I never will be able to enjoy this again, but yeah, it uses coconut sugar and honey. And I mean, that recipe has been around and probably made more than any of my recipes ever. So I'm in. Also, uh, by Danielle Walker, 
celebrations. Tell us yes. about that cookbook. What's in there? Yeah. Yeah. That is a, uh, you know, January to December kind of a cookbook where any sort of special occasion gathering celebration holiday, when you feel like you're missing something. So, I mean, there is like a full 12 recipe spread Thanksgiving chapter. There's a grain-free gluten-free gingerbread house. There are, you know, homemade marshmallows and hot cocoa and new year's Eve appetizers. I mean, just birthday cakes, you know, all the things that when you have to eat a certain way, or you have food allergies, you think like, I'll never be able to enjoy that again. And I'll never be able to host Thanksgiving. So everything that you would think you'll never have is, is in that book. (laughs) Okay, here's another one. Eat what you love. I feel like in parentheses, it should probably be, except not really, not everything yeah. you love. <laughs> like kind of eat what you love. Um, yeah. Tell us about that one. Yeah, that one is comfort food. And that one came from requests from my audience. I mean, they were missing shepherd's pie and fried chicken, and they were missing chicken pot pie and onion rings. And I mean, just a kind of, uh, there's like toaster, you know, kind of like Pop-Tart remakes. and pizza pocket remakes. I mean, basically like I was getting, oh, cinnamon rolls, you know, just things that people were like, I miss this so much. And so eat what you love. It was almost titled love what you eat, but I wanted it to be like, you can still enjoy all the foods that you think you'll never enjoy again. And so you're going to get to still eat what you love. Meals made simple. Yes. Easy, convenient stuff for folks. Yep, exactly. Yep. I wrote that when I was pregnant and had a a toddler and it was like, these. I just need to be able to get through the weekdays with some easy meals. So yeah, easy, flavorful meals with a lot of tips on how to make ahead and repurpose leftovers, things like that. Danielle Walker, author of Food Saved Me, My Journey of Finding Health and Hope Through the Power of Food. It's a memoir that tells the story of her battle against ulcerative colitis how her diet helped relieve her symptoms. She's got a number of other great cookbooks. We just talked about them. I will be doing some cooking. I'm going to keep you all posted with my experiences with um, these cookbooks. Like I'm not a big, like when I cook and people are like, you should take pictures. It's such a mess. Like I'm like not a messy, but I'm going to do it because I'm really excited to try some of these recipes. I thank you so much Thank you for having uh, for me. For being here. Thank you for sharing your time with us. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, and really, I, I hope that from this conversation, uh, people will at least start to think about their relationship with food, think about what we're putting in our bodies. And uh, you know, you, you really are a testament to the difference that it all can make. So thank you for sharing thank that you. with us. Thank you. Thank you for giving me the space to share it. I appreciate it. Take care. The Tanya Acker Show is written and executive produced by me. Sam Fergoso is my producer. Andre Lynn is my editor. Cole Mitchell is my composer. Sydney Freeman is my production assistant. And my show dog is Maximus Justice, also known as Max. If you like us, please go on to iTunes and leave a five-star review. Maybe I'll even have the chance to read it on the air. I will give you my hugest and most profuse thanks if you do. Thanks for listening, everybody. 